Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 20, and we are recording on Sunday, March 13th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Hello. Happy Sunday. It's Sunday. It's nice out, too. It is, yes. I'm into it. I have, um, I pull, I was telling Jen this earlier, but I feel like I need to say this for a wider audience. I pulled (laughs) my hip flexor getting out of my chair from church this morning because I am in my 30s now and this is my life, is that I injured myself getting up out of a chair like an old. So I'm sitting in this chair now that I'm in, which I managed to get into without hurting myself with an ice pack on on my leg. (laughs) Gonna talk about books. I am also the old, but in a different way, in that I like woke up early to get my laundry done at the laundromat before everyone else. Excellent. I was like, I'm gonna beat the brunchers. I'm gonna get laundry done first. My first thought when I realized that I had hurt myself was, Yay, now I don't have to go to the gym. I can't because I hurt myself. Excellent. (laughs) That's not how that works, Nelson. Anyway, so welcome um, to the old show. We yeah, record on Sundays. Yeah, the old show. In addition to being old, um, this show, in addition to this show being all about us being old, it's also about books and book recommendations. So, <laughs> do you like my segue? Um, so yes, this podcast is just full of recommendations for people who have written in to us to ask us what they should read next. So if you have a what do I read next question in that maybe a little life broke your heart or you need something to fill the hole that um, Percy Jackson has left, you know, in that there are no more books um, and you need something to get you through that, we understand. We're here for you. Uh, you can send us questions by email, uh, sending an email to getbooked at bookriot.com. You can fill out the form that's at the bottom of every post uh, for Get Booked. What else, Amanda? Oh, they can tweet us with questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you tweet me uh, with questions, then I just send them to the email inbox so they don't get lost. Yes. Um, so, yeah, you can send yes. us tweets, whatever. And we do have a lot of questions, but we do plan on getting to all of them eventually. So if yours has not been answered yet, never fear. It is probably coming soon. And I do check the more recent stuff, uh, the more recent incoming questions to see if there are any that are time sensitive. So uh, if they are, if there are time sensitive questions, we do, I do, you know, move those up. So mm-hmm. we're not going to ignore you. Uh, anyway, all right. Shall all right. we? Here we go. Let's do okay. it. Okay. I'm going to read the first question, then we're going to do our first sponsor, and then we will do the answers. Okay. This is from Joanna. Hello. I've just watched Practical Magic with Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman, and I sort of have a witchy hangover. I plan on reading the book the movie was based on and a couple cozy witchy mysteries, but I was wondering if y'all could recommend me some other witchy-themed books. I'm open to any genre, time period, and format, novella, short stories, graphic novels, etc., Hope y'all can help a witchy girl find some magic. I love that she said y'all twice in this. That makes mm-hmm. me so happy. That's like girl after my own heart. Okay, so that's the question. The question: Witchy novels or fiction? Our first sponsor for the show is Burn Baby Burn by Meg Medina, which I'm so excited about because I love Meg Medina so much. This is a YA novel about a girl named Nora Lopez. She's 17, and it's New York in the summer of 1977. So there's that. Um, that was the summers that were the, there was that huge blackout. Uh, there was a bunch of arson also because you know blackout. But it's also the of Sam's that the the serial killer who is shooting women on the streets. Um, so Nora is alive in New York in the middle of this summer. Her family life is really crappy. Her brother bullies her and is getting more and more threatening every day. Her mother is just trying to you know make ends meet and is falling behind on the rent and is doing the best that she can. And her father her father like is absentee and calls her on her birthday sort of a thing. All Nora wants to do is turn eighteen and go out and get away from all this stuff and be on her own. Um, and then a cute new guy starts working with her at the deli where she works, but she's got to make big choices that teenagers have to make, like, is dating worth the risk when if I go outside, the son of Sam might shoot me? This is not the sort of thing that, like, I had to deal with when I was 17 and dating. Um, (laughs) But, like, can you imagine? (laughs) I really cannot. (laughs) Me neither. Um, So, 
This it's a family drama, becoming of age story. There's some young romance, and all against this backdrop of this really famous, dangerous, horrifying historical moment uh, in New York City history. And Meg Medina, of course, is a diverse author, and this has a Hispanic protagonist, which is awesome, Nora Lopez. Um, and one of our contributors, uh, Lila, Lila, I have never said her name out loud. Yes, I have. I met her. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I like. I'm forever messing up people's Hashtag names. Hashtag old. <laughs> Hashtag pronunciation bomb. Uh, Leela Roy is a contributor and a librarian and wrote a great review of the book for Kirkus Reviews, so you can go read that if you would like. Um, and yeah, so thanks for sponsoring this show. That's Burn Baby Burn by Meg Medina. Okay, let's answer this question. You go first, because I've been talking for a while. Witchy right. books, go. Witchy books. So my first recommendation for you is The Magician's Trilogy by Lev Grossman, which are great. Uh, the first one... I will tell you that they change as they go on. So if, like, the first one is not your favorite, I really recommend you keep reading. But I really love all of them. Um, so the first one follows high school senior Quentin Coldwater, who is obsessed with this magical world called Fillory, sort of like a Narnia comp. And he is supposed to be over this stuff, but he's kind of never really gotten over it. And then when he's doing college interviews, he somehow ends up at an interview for a magical college and goes to magic college instead of regular college, <laughs> which is great, except that in this world, unlike, you know, Harry Potter, for example, um, there is love and sex and booze and bad choices all over the place <laughs> because it turns out magic doesn't make you not who you are. It just gives you another thing that you can mess up. So <laughs> um, if you are interested in the idea of Harry Potter plus, like, drugs and sex, mm. this series is for you. <laughs> love Grossman is so smart and funny. Um, he's He's a really great writer, and I really enjoyed these. It's a very different sort of take on what it means to be a magical teenager, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's definitely a little grim in parts, but there's some really clever, fun bantery moments. There's a really great adventure story, and like I said, the series just gets better and better as it goes along. I love it so much. And now there's a new show, which actually yes. they've, they've, like, up up. I don't know what, how to say it, but they've made it so that they're actually in magical graduate school instead of magical college. I'm assuming so that they can have the sex and drugs, which they couldn't mm. necessarily do if they had teenage protagonists, maybe? That's mm. my guess. Um... I haven't been watching it because I don't have actual TV, but I, it's on my list for when it comes to streaming, and um, I have heard great things. So that is a recommendation for The Magicians, which is the first in a trilogy by Lev Grossman. Okay, so my first pick is actually an author, uh, Sarah Addison Allen, who writes present-day witchy books with family drama and female protagonists, which is what I think Practical Magic is kind of in a nutshell. I've read two of them. Uh, the Peach Keeper is one, but I think the one that you should start with is called, it's called Garden Spells, and it's about the women of um, the Waverly family who had, there's a, their garden grows like an apple tree that has magical properties and herbs and edible flowers that have magical properties and all this stuff. And for about a decade, the main character, Claire, she's in her 30s, um, she's cool with, like, the this, this stuff that her family can do, which is, you know, magic with edible stuff from the garden. And her, the spirit of her grandmother is in the house that she lives in. And her rebellious sister, Sydney, has is, like, gone. She's long gone. Um, and it's, so it's got the same kind of setup as Practical Magic. And then Sydney comes back. Claire is using her, like, magical food skills in a very, like, water for chocolate kind of way to... Um, create a catering business and also subtly manipulate everyone she knows into doing what she wants because um, she can, you know, magic their food. Naturally. Uh, yeah, duh. And then her sister returns uh, to their hometown with a young daughter in tow and Claire's, like, quiet, cultivated routine is just thrown totally off balance. And then they both have, like, there's rom romance. They both find romance. And it, it's very practical magic-y with the sister relationships and the one of them running away and not wanting anything to do with it um, and all that. So, uh, and then she's got, I think she's written probably half a dozen books. And they all have that, like, female family drama magic stuff going on. So that's Sarah Addison Allen. And the book that you should start with is Garden Spells. My next pick for this is All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders, which just came out earlier this year. And one of the things I love the most about this book is that it is both science fiction and magic, which you don't get very often than both of them in the same book. Um, so it's about these two childhood friends, Patricia and Lawrence, and Patricia 
is a budding witch, although she's very confused about what she is and isn't and what she might be able to do and what she might not. Um, and Lawrence is a tech genius. He's basically building an AI, artificial intelligence, uh, in his closet um, in middle school. Uh, neither of them fit in, as you might imagine. And they become sort of allies and then friends in their, in their sort of disenfranchised uh, high school experience. Um, and then things get messed up. And they they part ways. Patricia goes off to witch school, and Lawrence sort of stays in the real world and becomes this, like, Silicon Valley, except in San Francisco. I can't remember what they're calling it when it's in San Francisco, but it becomes part of the tech boom and gets a job and, you know, is, is sort of like the new Google. And you don't actually see either of them in their school years. Um, you don't see Patricia go to which school. You meet them, you meet up with them again when they're adults and like fully grown into their powers, which is kind of another interesting change of pace from a lot of the magical kids of uh, books that I've read. And so they're in San Francisco, and now the world is, like, in its post-apocalyptic phase. Like, things are going weird, there's climate issues and economy issues, and they have sort of run into each other again and are reliving some of those terrible childhood memories and also trying to figure out who they are to each other now. And then everything goes crazy. <laughs> there's yeah. these really amazing action sequences that I, like, want to talk about, but I don't want to spoil anything. I really enjoyed this book. And she... The, the author, at the very beginning, she kind of poses this, like, one of these children will be the doom of the world. And so the whole book, you're just like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? And I was so <laughs> afraid that it wouldn't, like, pull off. And then it did. Um, so, yes, this is, I uh, highly recommend it. It's All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders. Okay, so you mentioned being open to graphic novels. So my next pick is a graphic novel. It's Coffin Hill, Volume 1. Um, the uh, writer is Caitlin Kittredge, and the artist is Inyaki Miranda. And I think this is up to three volumes now, but I could be wrong. Anyway, um, so this is about a girl named Eve Coffin. She's a dirtbag teenager, like just not a likable protagonist warning, if that's a thing that you need. This is not the book for you. Um, she comes <laughs> from a really high society, wealthy family in Salem, that Salem of the witch trials, Salem. Um, so her family's got a lot of money, and she is their rebellious, drug-addicted, sassy, annoying, ungrateful daughter who does nothing but party and is mean to everyone. Um, so her and her friends <clears throat> go out into the woods one night when her parents are throwing a big party that she has ruined. Um, they get really, really high start doing random, like, what, you know, how teenagers think they're doing, like, magic-y whatever, um, the stuff that teenagers get into. They start doing random magic-y whatever witchcraft in the woods when they're stoned out of their minds, and they awaken something in the woods. And Eve, the main character, wakes up the next day naked and covered in blood with no memory of what happened. One of her friends is missing. One of them is in a mental institution. Everyone is blaming her. She blames herself, even though she has no idea what happened. So she runs out. Of, she runs. She runs, gets out of town, moves to Boston, works as a cop uh, in Boston. She gets shot um, in the line of duty when she's in Boston and returns home to kind of get away from the celebrity that's coming along with that. And when she gets, when she comes home, it's been 10 years and she realizes that whatever it is that she woke up in the woods that night, 10 years ago is still out there and is ruining her town. So she has to decide if she's going to do something about it or if she's going to continue to be a dirtbag, which she is for most of the book. Um, so it's super witchy, obviously. And her family in the same way that Practical Magic has a genetic magical thing happening, that's the same thing here. Even her family has this like genetic magical thing happening um, that dates all the way back to the Salem Witch Trials. So if you like, um, you know, witchy stories with that creepy historical, what's that Arthur Miller play? The Crucible. The Crucible, yeah. That creepy historical like, crucible type hysterical tone uh, or like feeling of ominous things where you can't ever tell if like everyone in the book is actually cursing you or is maybe just a little crazy like that sort of unreliable narrator thing then you will like this i liked it a lot it's the art is really really great it's creepy eve is horrible but you are still interested in her which is how you nail an unlikable protagonist you, you make them interesting despite the fact that they're awful uh anyway so that's coffin hill volume one by caitlin kittredge 
Teenage dirtbag is such a good description for her. She is yes, just like she's the, such a, the you're worst. You're just like, oh my god, why are you the worst? But I'm so interested in you. <laughs> <laughs> Grow up already. No, um, she has excellent like combat boots. I don't know. She yeah, no, that's true. Her like she was the girl I wanted to be, but like could never actually have been in high school. Um, oh, like couldn't the be scary, that didn't like, have enough money. <laughs> scary goth chick. <laughs> Um, okay, so my third recommendation, I haven't actually read, but has been recommended to me many times over by a lot of people I trust, and, like, they will be horrified to hear that I still haven't read them yet. Um, but it's the All Souls trilogy by Deborah Harkness. The first one is called, drumroll please, A Discovery of Witches. Hey! <laughs> hey! So... Uh, it's about a young scholar named Diana Bishop who is studying in the Bodleian Library when she accidentally calls up like a bewitched manuscript um, during her research. And she is part of a long line of witches but does not want anything to do with it. So she's sort of like, oh, I don't want this, uh, runs away from it. But it turns out that she's sort of awoken some things and now she has to deal with them. Um, and so, yeah, it follows part of the family. There's an old vampire. Empire geneticist, which is an interesting twist. Um, <laughs> and I, from what I understand, it's sort of like if you like Anne Rice, if you like um, a night, The Night Circus is another book that people have talked about reading this one after because they just want more magic in their lives. Uh, this one will probably work for you. It's A Discovery of Witches by Deborah Harkness, the All Souls trilogy. Okay, I also have a third pick. I try to keep myself to two, but apparently this is a genre I like. I didn't realize. <laughs> right, witches, we like them? What? Yeah, sure, awesome. All right. Um, so my third pick for you is Born Wicked by Jessica Spotswood. This is the first book in the Cahill Witch Chronicles, which I think is a trilogy. I haven't read the third one, but I have read the second one, and I liked it. Um, this is YA, and it's been a while since I remembered it, since I read it, so I don't remember if it takes place in the future or way in the past, but either way, it's like a... Um, medieval kind of Salem-ish village sort of situation, but it's not actually Salem. It's a it's a very, like, alternate history. Maybe it's an alternate history. I don't know. Man, I wish I could remember. Anyway, um, so Kate Ca Cahill? Kate Cahill is the main character. She's got sisters. They are um, witches, basically. But in this universe, being a witch is the worst. If you are caught being a witch by the Brotherhood, which is the government slash religious agency that oversees society, um, you'll be put into an asylum or thrown in prison or you'll, you might just like mysteriously die. So she can do all of this magic, but she has to keep it a secret and also keep her sister's abilities secret so that nothing bad happens to them. But they also have to get married uh, in this society you get married or you join the sisterhood which is the female equivalent of the brotherhood obviously it's the religious organization for women so you can either join the sisterhood or you can get married and do the handmaid's tale kind of thing so she's got six months left when the book opens to decide whether or not she's going to get married um or if she's going to join the sisterhood or if she's going to you know like burn it down which she can't do really because she's got to protect her um, family. So if she's trying to find like an alternative to both of these options because neither one is great. She doesn't want to join the sisterhood and continue this tradition of oppressing uh, women who have abilities or just, you know, are women. And she doesn't want to get married because she doesn't want to get married. So she starts reading banned books. She starts finding out that some of her friends who she thought were, you know, like very toe the line vanilla are actually secretly super rebellious. And she has to do all of this while, you know, throwing tea parties and having a forbidden romance and not letting her powers get out of hand um, because she is a teenager and so are her sisters and they're still growing into their abilities. Sometimes, you know, you get angry and you create a storm. Whoops! You know, so she has to, like, stop herself from doing all of that. So, it's, you know, it's complicated. Um, and it does end on a cliffhanger, just to warn you, but the second book came out, I think, like, two years ago, so you can immediately go get it. Uh, but it's really great. It was very, like, if The Handmaid's Tale had, was a fantasy novel instead of that, like, sci-fi dystopia thing, if The Handmaid's Tale was a fantasy novel, I think it would be a lot like this. So that's Born Wicked by Jessica Spotswood. All right, question two. So this question is from Nicole. 
Recently, you recommended Crooked Letter, Cro- Crooked Letter by Tom Franklin to a reader in search of literary mysteries. I read it immediately and couldn't put it down. I enjoyed everything about the book. <laughs> well done, Amanda. <laughs> I enjoyed everything about the book, but most of all, I loved that just as you mentioned, the South itself was a character. I also really appreciated how Franklin made me feel like I was part of the community. The characters were so vivid and real. Could you please recommend books where the setting and local community is as immersive as in Crooked Letter, Crooked Letter? I'm open to reading a book set anywhere so long as the scenery and characters draw me in. I should probably mention that I really enjoy historical fiction and psychological thrillers. Strong female characters are a bonus. I'm not a huge fan of sci-fi or fantasy. Alright, you go first. Okay, um, yes, Crooked Letter, Crooked Letter is amazing and I'm so glad that you love that book. I love it so much. Um, so my first pick for you is Broken Monsters by Lauren Bucus, which we've talked about on the show before, but I wanted to get out of the South and also it's a psychological thriller with a strong female character. Um, so this takes place in Detroit. It's a horror mystery thriller sort of combo and the main character is a detective named uh, Gabriella. Gabriella? Gabriella. Um, and she is investigating a murder, a series of really gruesome and strange murders, the first of which involves a little boy and, like, the top half of his body being sewn onto the bottom half of a deer. So that kind of, like, weird, ominous, gruesome kind of stuff. Um, So obviously trigger warnings abound in the book, super violent. Um, She also has a teenage daughter who is... um, trying to catfish a, a, a predator for, for reasons I don't remember in the book, but it's, like, super complicated. Um, there's a freelance journalist who is just the worst. His name is Jono, and he's doing whatever he can to, like, get this, the story of Detroit, and it's, you know, burgeoning new hipster art scene, and he's just a gross bro. He's a journalist bro. Um, and there's a bunch of other second, like, characters. This is a huge cast of really fascinating and interesting characters. And the Detroit that Lauren is representing in this book is not, um, it's not disaster porn. You know, like, a lot of depictions of Detroit are just, like, ruin, pictures of ruined buildings and deserted skyscrapers and stuff like that. And she does mention that because that is a reality in Detroit. But she's talking about community. She's representing the people who still live there who are trying to make uh, Detroit great again and and who are rebuilding it and rebuilding the art scene and rebuilding you know like government services and um helping each other pulling each other up um out of the situation that detroit is in or was in a couple of years ago i'm sure you know since this book came out it was a couple years um anyway so detroit is a huge character uh in and of itself in this book and lauren bugis is really good at that her other books all have that kind of aspect of an immersive setting that functions as a character. So if you like this one, you can go read her other books. They're, they're all similar in that way. So that's Broken, uh, Broken Monsters by Lauren Bucus. Super creepy. The first book that I thought of when I read this question was The Heart is a Lonely Hunter by Carson McCullers, which I just read for the first time in the last three years. Somehow I missed it when I was younger. It never got assigned to me, which it seems like a lot of people read it in high school. So if you also have not read it, I highly recommend it. It was her first novel, um, and it is amazing because it follows a sort of a bunch of different people in this one Georgia mill town during the 1930s. And at the center of the story is a deaf mute man named John Singer, who sort of because of his deafness and muteness becomes a a blank slate. I mean, he's obviously a person with his own internal life, but the other characters in the book sort of treat him as a blank slate on which to project whatever it is that they're thinking about. So they'll like talk at him about whatever it is that's going on in their lives in a way that they wouldn't talk to somebody who might potentially call them on their bullshit. Uh, Mm. Pardon my French. And so um, you learn about these characters from what they're willing to say of themselves and you also see them interacting with each other it's so interesting there's um a young girl who's trying to figure out who she is going to be as a grown-up uh there's um a family who's dealing with uh sort of the illness inside the family there's just all kinds of different people in the town and by like 
the it it jumps around from one person in the town to the next and so you get this really cool 360 view of what it's like to be part of this community what it's like to want to be part of it to not want to be part of it it's an amazing book and she's an incredible writer she's very sort of spare with her words and and in doing so sort of lets everything shine through without sort of flashy prose i loved it so that's the heart is a lonely hunter by carson mccullers Okay, my second pick for you is The Land of Love and Drowning by Tiffany Yannique, and this takes place in the Virgin Islands. So it starts in the early 1900s, and it's set against the backdrop of the Virgin Islands, uh, not well, I guess ownership, whatever, of the Virgin Islands being transferred from the Dutch to, or no, the Danish to the U.S., um, Danish rule to American rule. And it's, so that's the backdrop. And you're following a family from that time period, the early 1900s up until present day. And there's a little bit of magical realism involved. And it's just this big sweeping family epic. Um, I'm not going to get into like the, the minutia of the plot because there's so many threads and it's just like family messing up, you know. Like how big family epics are just, and then this character makes a mistake, and this character makes a mistake, and this character makes a mistake, and they love each other anyway kind of thing. Or they don't, or they hate each other. Um, You know, sometimes they end like that. So it covers about 60 years, and it focuses a lot on father-daughter relationships, mother-daughter relationships. There's some love affairs. There's curses, like actual curses. Lots of people die, as they do in family epics. But the setting is amazing. Um, The way that she writes the Virgin Islands is so good. Like, you're going to feel salty. Like, when I was reading the book, I just felt not salty, like angry, like how we use it now, but like literally, like I was like, I don't know, climbing out of the ocean on a hot day, salty. I just felt like I was there. And I've never been to the Virgin Islands, so I don't know if that was an accurate feeling, but she's she, her writing is so evocative and, like, transports you to the beach um, and the heat and, like, the sweltering and, like, the, the fragrant air. Just all of it. She writes it so well. And the, the Virgin Islands are definitely a character. And not just the Virgin Islands as a whole, but, like, the neighborhood where this family lives. And then this one individual tiny, like, reef island where one of the, char- the characters comes from is born um, her home island I guess where this little village is has its own flavor versus like the bigger cities and the bigger villages scattered throughout the the book Um, every area has its own it's just like uniquely its own she writes it so well and so distinctly so yeah Um, that's the land of love and drowning by Tiffany Unique all right and my second pick for this is a brief history of seven killings by marlon james which won the 2015 man booker prize for fiction uh fair warning it is a very dense very long very violent book as you might guess from the title title. Um, and it starts in the late 1970s in jamaica uh right around the time of an attempted assassination of bob marley and you bounce around through so many different characters. So there's like a CIA man who's rigging up stuff and then there's the guy who sort of rules this one neighborhood in Jamaica and then there's, you know, the person who works at the Bob Marley house compound and then there's a woman who slept with him once and there's just all of these different people who are all sort of revolving around him, who they refer to him as the singer. But it's actually, when I went into it, I was expecting a book 100% about Bob Marley, and that is not accurate. Like, this book is kind of about Bob Marley in the same way that Moby Dick is about a book about a whale. Like, he mm. is there and moves the plot along, but really it's much more about the internal lives of the people who are in his orbit. And it is so intensely imagined. I mean, the detail of the communities um, like the slums in Jamaica and the people who are there for not good reasons and you know the expats and the people who are trying to get away and the people who love it and want to stay it's just really intense and you do feel like you're completely immersed in the story itself and in the location there's this one scene where a gunman is running away from the arrival gang and he's ducking through all of these shanties and climbing over railroad trucks and all of these things and you feel like you're there with him like getting dirty and stumbling through puddles and trying to climb up the hills and oh it's really intense um so and and then it moves from jamaica into new york and so you get these really like this really different sort of 
viewpoint from going from Kingston to New York and then back to Jamaica. Uh, it's it's really intense. And you will also learn a lot about history. I did not know a lot of the things that this book talks about in great detail. Um, so that was really fascinating. And I've, I've loved his books, Marlon James's books, since I read The Book of Night Women, which is another amazing novel and much shorter, in fact, <laughs> uh, if, if you are intimidated by the length of A Brief History of Seven Killings. So yes, but I highly recommend it, um, especially for you in this situation. So A Brief History of Seven Killings by Marlon James. I am so intimidated by the lengths. It's long. It's long. You can read it in bits, though, because it is very episodic. Like, it switches voices a lot, so you could go sort of bit by bit. How would it be on audio? This is like a Oh, I mean, a lot of it is in dialect or patois, so... I think it would be de- it would depend on the narrator. You need a really good narrator. I'm gonna look into that. I'm yeah, gonna, I have yeah. questions. Okay, question three. Uh, this is from Nina. I'm a little obsessed with Downton Abbey and was wondering if you knew of any books that are similar. I've just finished reading Remains of the Day, which I thought had a similar feel and I really enjoyed. Do you have any other suggestions like that? I would really like a book with a good dose of romance in it, but I'm not fond of the romance genre. So again, that's Nina. Um, oh man, Remains of the Day is one of my favorite books. Good pick for you um so i guess i'll go first sure uh so my first pick is the house at tyneford by natasha solomons and this book takes place a little bit later than downton abbey it's right before world war ii instead of world war one um and the main character is a girl named elise who is from vienna she's jewish and is realizing at the beginning of the book that it's no longer safe to be jewish in vienna in 1938 so she leaves her upper class um pretty wealthy life in Vienna and moves to England to become a parlor maid in a big house. Um, So there's that upstairs, downstairs thing going on. So she arrives at the house. The house is called Tyneford and, uh, you know, serves drinks to people on the lawn and polishes silver and dusts and does the thing where she's a parlor maid. But she knows and everyone else in the house knows that war is coming. And when uh, the master of Tyneford, his young son, Kit, comes home um, in preparation for the war, he and Elise become friends and then maybe more than friends question mark eh um so there's kind of a there's your romance thing between the son of the guy who owns this giant house and the parlor maid which happens a lot in Downton Abbey (laughs) um so much of that in Downton Abbey uh anyway and there's a big tragedy and then a twist in this book so but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give it away um or spoil it but it does not um, hmm. it doesn't end the way that you expect when you're going into a book knowing that she develops a romantic relationship with uh, the you know the owner um, or the owner's son whatever so I'm gonna leave it at that because I don't want to give it away but it's very Downton Abbey-ish and so that's The House at Tyneford T-Y-N-E-F-O-R-D and it's by Natasha Solomons My first pick for you is Longbourn by Joe Baker, which is a retelling of Pride and Prejudice from the downstairs perspective. Um, It's all about the servants who work at Longbourn and have to deal with crazy Mrs. Bennet and, you know, Elizabeth's skirt that gets all muddy when she hikes through the fields to go to Jane when she's sick and all of these things that you don't necessarily think about unless you actually get to see the downstairs folks like you do in Downton Abbey. Um, And so I really, I actually don't usually read rewrites of classics, but I loved this book. It was so well done. Sarah is uh, the housemaid and like does the laundry and enters the chamber pots. Um, But then there's a new footman and she there is a a love story and his backstory is very interesting because you hear a lot when you read the Austin novels about like oh the militia are stationed away and the men Mm. in the regiment in their very fine uniforms but you have no idea like even what war they're fighting (laughs) they're just they're just kind of there as set dressing and the footman actually has served in the Napoleonic Wars and his backstory is amazing it is so I like I can't even. I was so surprised and intrigued by where this book ended up going. It was not at all what I thought it was going to be. And it takes a much broader look at the sort of context for Regency England than you get really anywhere else, which I think Downton Abbey did like a little bit of. Um, And so I highly recommend it. So it's called Longbourn by Joe Baker. 
Okay, my second pick for you is a classic. It's called Brideshead Revisited. It's by Evelyn Waugh. And I love this book so much. So you're following a character named Charles who is from, uh, you know, like normal middle class family. And he goes to Oxford for school. And in his third year at Oxford, he meets another 19-year-old named Sebastian. Sebastian is a partier and he obviously comes from a wealthy family like super wealthy he's eccentric and weird he carries around a teddy bear named aloysius that he talks to as if it's cognizant of what he's saying to it um he's super i don't he's uh, just very effervescent he's an effervescent character who charles is immediately drawn to so charles becomes his friend there's a there's lots of hints both subtle and overt that the two become romantically involved and he gets kind of drawn into sebastian's world and then he goes home with sebastian to his family to meet his family and gets more and more involved in their family drama and their family is basically catholic aristocracy they are so rich and so religious which can be a problem for sebastian who very obviously is gay and an alcoholic so Charles and Sebastian's friendship slash romance, maybe, uh, becomes maybe like a problem for the family. The family starts to kind of nudge Charles to move on. And so Charles moves on to Sebastian's sister, who he then becomes obsessed with after he's done being obsessed with Sebastian. So there's lots of like weird love triangle thing happening. Um, There's not a lot of downstairs in this upstairs downstairs, but you get the perspective of a character who isn't used to that kind of wealth uh, through Charles, the main character. And it is historical fiction. This is takes place, I think, uh, right after World War One. So it's a little... It's like the end of Downton Abbey slash post-Downton Abbey, just slightly. Um, but uh, Sebastian is one of the... I think one of the best characters in literature. He's just so strange. Like, he's so strange, and he's got all of this ennui. And I'm usually not here for, like, rich white boy whining, but... His is, like, real. I don't know. It's just very well written, and I love it so much. Anyway, uh, so that's Brideshead Revisited by Evelyn Waugh. I am realizing that my next pick doesn't have a whole lot to do <laughs> with <laughs> Down Abbey, except that anytime somebody's like, I like historical historical fiction, I'm like, great, you know what you should read? Um, so I'm going to recommend it anyway. It's the, Qu- the Queen of the Night by Alexander Chi, which I am just obsessed with. It came out in February. It is also uh, pretty long, but it is so good. It's about a woman named Lilliet Byrne who is a famous soprano um, opera singer. She is like renowned in courts and she goes to balls and men swoon at her feet and give her diamonds which she throws in the trash and she's very glamorous and then you start to find out that her life has not always been like this that in fact this might not even be her real name um and the whole thing takes place in the hmm, it's the second empire no is it the third empire it's (laughs) it's it's late and it's like the last point at which france had an emperor um and the the thing that reminded me of when you talk about down abbey is like the soap opera enos of it um all of the like tangled lives and the clandestine goings on and like the attempt to maintain propriety reminded me a lot of the politics in the queen of the night um liliette as she you start to find out more and more about her past has her Turns out to be a very canny survivor. She kind of makes herself into whoever she needs to be to get through whatever situation she finds herself in. And it's fascinating. So you get this huge tour of France during this time, um, right after the Franco-Prussian War. And um, it's just fascinating. It's really, really fascinating. She is such an interesting, smart character. There are a, uh, there is a romance. Um, there's like more than just a romance, but there's there is a really lovely sort of lost, doomed romance, um, and it's just incredible. I loved it, and it's really lush. Like there, all of the details of like the clothes and the people and the balls and all of that jazz um, is in there to the nth degree, which I really also loved. So that is the Queen of the Night by Alexander Chi. The clothes and all of that stuff is the only reason I watched Downton Abbey. Right? Like, all of those great, like, glitzy sort of details. It's really fascinating to me. And the amount of research that has to go into, like, did they have bustles? What were their bustles like? Like, what kind of jewelry would they have been wearing? Like, I can't even handle it. And the Queen of the Night actually revolves a lot around jewels in particular, which is fun. Um, I just, yeah. Anyway. All right. Question four. Okay. That's you. It's me. 
This question is from Amy. Dear Amanda, I recently read The Oregon Trail by Rinker Buck and just finished A Man Call of by Frederick Bachman. I'm beginning to realize that I really love curmudgeons. <laughs> Can you recommend any books with curmudgeonly characters? Bonus points for genre fiction. Yes, we can. <laughs> oh, curmudgeons. Oh, curmudgeons. Um, so I love the Oregon Trail. Rinker Book is hilarious and is so cranky and so get off my lawn. And it's just my favorite. So my first pick for you is anything by Bill Bryson, who is the same. He's just cranky and get off my lawn-ish. He's, he's uh, wittier than Rinkerbuck, not quite as overtly like, shake my cane kind of a thing, um, but he's definitely cranky. And he's written, let's see, A Walk in the Woods is a memoir of his, how he decided to drop everything for reasons and walk the Appalachian Trail, which goes from Georgia to Maine with his friend who he had not seen in 20 years, despite the fact that neither of them have any sort of hiking experience and both of them were out of shape and quite old and so he just decides to do that and of course that would make anyone cranky but Bill Brazen is already cranky so um, it's just you know recipe for disasters hilarious and then he also writes histories uh, a short history of nearly everything is exactly what it sounds like um, home or is it at home do you know home or at home what are they I mean you can look it up what is uh, that uh, it's home it's home, home. I think okay. it's home uh, it's a history of homes like ovens and bedrooms and why we have dressers and fireplaces and stuff like that which sounds like it could be super boring but it's actually really fascinating and somehow he manages to infuse these histories that he writes with his crankiness and his curmudgeonliness which is great it's a talent so anything by bill bryson that's my first pick (laughs) it is a talent (laughs) (laughs) My first pick for this question is The Hottest Dishes of the Tartar Cuisine by Alina Bronsky, translated by Tim Moore. Have you read this book, Amanda? I really need you to read this book. Okay. I love it. Uh, The main character, Rosa, who's also the narrator, is just the worst in the most delightful way. She is so snarky and, like, superior and just thinks everybody else is a complete and utter idiot. She has a 17-year-old daughter named Sophia who gets pregnant by an unknown man, and she is not delighted with this turn of events. And But the baby is born anyway. And she, like, feel she becomes obsessed with her granddaughter. Um, and she, like, could care less for her daughter or her husband or anybody else, really, in the world. But she decides that, you know, Aminat, her granddaughter, is going to be, like, her child um, and tries to take over. And then... <laughs> But the results of this are terrible because she's not a good person. She's not a good mother. She's a terrible mother and she's a terrible grandmother. Um, And so Aminat runs away. And um, it's bad things happen. Uh, It's also about a really interesting time in um, the Soviet Union because it's sort of at the end of it. um, But Rosa has decided that she needs to get herself and her daughter and her granddaughter out of the Soviet Union and sort of by hook or by crook. um, And it is not a good plan her plan is the worst plan you're like why do you think this is a good this is a terrible idea yet somehow throughout the whole thing the author Bronsky manages to really make her also very entertaining in her terribleness uh, even while very serious and like not good things are going on um I just thought this book was amazing I got it for my mom for uh, Mother's Day when I first read it and was like thank you for not being a mother like this in the card <laughs> that I put into it um so and like women who are this crazy and cranky and disgruntling are not often narrators of stories so I also find that completely delightful so that's The Hottest Dishes of the Tartar Cuisine by Alina Bronsky, translated by Tim Moore. Okay, my second pick for you is The Storied Life of A.J. Fickery by Gabriel Zevin. And this, uh, our curmudgeon in this book is a bookstore owner, which makes him double, doubly lovable. Uh, he lives on, his name is A.J., obviously. He lives on Alice Island, and his bookstore is experiencing very bad sales, and uh, his wife has passed away, so he's just sad and in the in the dumps and grumpy and he's pulling himself away from all of his social connections and 
just isolating himself. He's not finding joy in anything anymore, and he's just kind of rude and mean. Um, he goes on a lot of rants about, like, the state of literature today in in the book, and he's not an old person. Like, this is a young man whose wife died very young and whose, you know, business is not going well. So he's he's extra curmudgeonly because he's, like, in his 30s, I think. Anyway, so... Um, one morning, he gets a mysterious package at his bookstore that changes his life. And that package is a baby <laughs> that is, like, <laughs> abandoned on the front steps of his, uh, of his business. And so this gives him an opportunity or a reason to kind of start over. And he has to rethink everything he thinks about life and his life and his community and his relationships and his future and his bookstore because now he has a child in his house that he needs to support and there's a bit of a romance in there and you it's it's just about like the rebirth of a heart aj's heart is broken at the beginning of the book with the death of his wife and the what he sees is the death of his business um but it's really a love story to like independent booksellers which is really great uh and it's just lovely and very heartwarming uh, despite the fact that he is such a jerk and I hated him for like 95% of the book because he's so cranky uh, and whiny about like Amazon and e-readers, which just, uh, I have feelings about that. Anyway, <laughs> I, I like, I got curmudgeonly about it. Like as I was reading it, I'm like, grumble, grumble, get off my lawn. Grumble, grumble, grumble. So. <laughs> Anyway, so that's The Storied Life of A.J. Fickery by Gabriel Zevin. My second pick for you is one I haven't read, but one that is pretty high up on my TBR list, and it is Me Before You by Jojo Moyes, who is just, like, taking the world by storm, as far as I can tell. Um... And this is, so there are two main characters. There's Lou Clark, who is not the curmudgeon. Um, she works at a tea shop. She's trying to figure out whether or not she's actually in love with her boyfriend. You know, her life is, like, kind of fine or maybe not so great, but it's it's all right. And then there is Will Trainer, who was in a motorcycle accident and now just hates life. He hates everything. Everything, everything, everything. He hates everyone. Um, he is not a happy person, and he is not nice to other people. Um, and you can kind of see where he's coming from, but, um, she, you know, you also are just like, dude. Um, so he, you know, he used to be, he was, like, wealthy and successful and adventurous, and now he's in a wheelchair, and he can't really use his hands or his body anymore. Um, and Louisa ends up getting hired to take care of him. And the relationship then forms the rest of the book. So you get a curmudgeon, and you get, like, the book that, like, the story of, like, what happens when you are forced to sort of be outside of your own personal comfort zones. So that is Me Before You by Jojo Moyes. All right. Um, let's see. Oh, our second sponsor. Okay, before we move on. Um, we are our second sponsor. We're actually doing a giveaway of our Start Here book, the first volume. We've got two. Um, but the first volume we're giving away for the month of March and all you have to do is sign up for one or more, if you feel like it, of our newsletters. And when you do sign up, you will get a link to download a copy of the book Start Here to whichever format uh, fits your e-reading device or your phone. And uh, if you're unfamiliar with these books that we put together, the subtitle is Read Your Way into 25 Amazing Authors. So we took the uh, Reading Pathways concept, which is a column that we have on the site where we tell you where to start with a certain author, what to read after that, what to read after that. Um, and turned it into a book. We had some guest writers. Uh, Aaron Morgenstern, who at the Night Circus, does a chapter on Neil Gaiman. Joe Hill does a chapter on Bernard Malamud. Um, Kevin Smokler, from who wrote Practical Classics, does a chapter on Sherman Alexie. I did a chapter about Charles Dickens, where to start with Charles Dickens. You've got Gabriel Garcia Marquez and John Irving and Stephen King and Cormac McCarthy. And, well, 25. We've got 25 amazing authors and where to start with their work and what, to, what order uh, we think it's, is best to go in. And so you can get that for free if you enter. And I will leave a link in the show notes um, you know, to go and get it, get the free copy. Or you can just go to bookright.com and in the, the search bar, just click the little magnifying glass and type in start here and the giveaway will come up. Um, oh, I also wanted to mention we're doing a, a reader survey and we're recording on Sunday and the survey goes up tomorrow. So if you just go to bookright.com slash survey, I, we want to know everything about your reading life in 2015. Like we want to know 
how many books you read, what genres, what percentage was sci-fi, what percentage was romance, what percentage was, you know, memoirs, and, like, how much money you spent, and if you listen to audiobooks, and if you listen to bookish podcasts, and if so, what are your favorites? Like, we love this kind of stuff. And these reader surveys we do every year, and it really helps us nail down what kind of content you guys are most interested in. Um, it helps us figure out what videos and podcasts and new features and stuff we should, should be coming up with, you know, in the following year based on the stuff that you guys like to read, which, you know, is the same stuff that we like to read. So it's, we could just ask ourselves, <laughs> but we would rather ask you. And plus we like, we like digging into the stats of like how many books our readers read because every year it turns out to be like way more than the average American, which of course it does. You wouldn't come to a book website unless you were like super into books. Um, but it, it gives us like a nice, yeah, our people kind of feeling. So if you uh, fill out the survey, it's long and we know it. So we enter you to give away, uh, we enter you, you into a giveaway for a $50 Visa gift card. If you do fill it out, you will be automatically entered to win a $50 Visa gift, uh, Visa gift card because it, it takes a minute because <laughs> we're super nosy. Uh, anyway, so yeah, start your giveaway. Reader survey is our second, well, I guess and third sponsor, whatever. All right, moving on. Question number five. Help, help, help. Oh, this is from Julie. I need help with recommendations for my dad. Oh, dads. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a firefighter and has started reading at the fire station in his downtime. He's reading at a fast pace, and my mom and I need some new directions to go in so he doesn't need to work doesn't need to go to work without a book. He has read all of the Robert B. Parker series as well as the Alex Hawk series and Vince Flynn. I've suggested the Jack Reacher series and Robert Christ's Elvis Cole. What other authors and series should he read? Um, he, he's open to nonfiction, but he mostly likes fast-paced fiction with military, spy, or police angles. You go first. You have more than me. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I had a lot of thoughts about this one. I'm um, sure, yes. I, bet. I mean, um, can you imagine? Um, so my first pick for your dad is Chimera by David Wellington, which is the first in a new series um, following the exploits of a disabled army veteran, James Chase, who gets drafted for... A mission that he doesn't know why he's been picked. Um, really, anybody would sort of be the wrong pick for this because it's an impossible mission. The uh, the military, as is their want, um, have accidentally created some monsters, and they need somebody to go and find them, track them down, because of course they've gotten loose, um, and you know, <laughs> like they do. Out, like, can they be re-imprisoned? Do they need to do they need to be killed? Are they going to kill other people in the meantime? And it's a really intense adventure story. Um, I don't know if he's open to genre, but I think he would dig it because there's a lot of interesting like tidbits about the military as the same time you're also getting these like sort of, you know, horror monster Frankenstein-y elements. And um, it's a really broad ranging story. And it was one of the first books I think I've ever read that had uh, an amputee main character, which I thought was very interesting um, because he so he has this like cool sort of robotic hand um, and it'd be it's interesting the way it's handled like it's not the thing that saves him but it's also not the thing that you know gets in his way like it's just part of who he is uh, which I thought was really well done so that's if you're if you think your dad might be open to sci-fi and he does like military characters um the Jim Chapel mystery or er, series I mean they are kind of mysteries in the same way because you're trying to figure out like what has happened with these, you know, escapees and how did they create it and why were they created and what can be done to fix this situation? Um, it's a really entertaining read. So that is Chimera by David Wellington. Okay, my first pick is uh, a book I probably talk about as much as Jen talks about The Sorcerer to the Crown, and that is <laughs> The Unquiet Dead by Ozma Zehanak-Khan. Um, this is the first in her, what I hope will be very long-running mystery series centered around two police officers in Canada. Um, the second book just came out in January and is called The Language of Secrets. So there are only two right now, but apparently she's writing one a year, so hopefully there will be another one out soon. Um, the Unquiet Dead is a about a wealthy Canadian man who is found dead at the bottom of a cliff. It looks like he's probably fallen, but then it also looks like he might be a Bosnian war criminal who was hiding in Canada um, again from persecution of war crimes. And so then it becomes a question of, did he, was he murdered? Was he pushed? Or killed somewhere else and thrown off this cliff in the back of his house? So the police call in a special division of their whatever, police force that handles minority-sensitive cases or politically charged cases. And those two 
officers who are the ones in charge of minority sensitive cases are the two main characters that you follow through the rest of the series, um, or at least into the second book, and I assume the rest of the series. Uh, so that's The Unquiet Dead by Ozma Zehanat Khan. My second pick is a nonfiction. It's called Beating Back the Devil on the front lines with the diseased detectives of the Epidemic Intelligence Service by Marin McKenna. I have a thing for nonfiction disease books. I think they're really <laughs> interesting. It's like the weirdest thing. People are oh, always amazing. like, you have a what now? Um, <laughs> but I really like books about diseases. I think they're very interesting. And this book is amazing because it's not actually about diseases. It's about disease hunters. Like, these people literally go to where outbreaks happen, try to figure out how they started and then stop them. It's amazing. Um, it's it's a really fascinating subject. And Maren McKenna does a great job of laying it all out. She decides that she's going to look at a, a few people who are in the, um, it's literally like the disease detective core for the, for the CDC. Um, and they are formally called the Epidemic Intelligence Services. So it's like disease spies even. Oh, I just love it. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and these are the people who like have been you know, are responsible for halting the spread of things like the hantavirus or Ebola and are hunting down West Nile and SARS and dealing with anthrax threats. And it's just a really fascinating look at people. First of all, who would do that? Like, who would go to a place where an outbreak is happening instead of running the hell the other way? How do they do their jobs, which is fascinating as well? Um, and, you know, like, who are they? Where they come from all different walks of life? So how did they end up in this job? She does an amazing job with uh, sorting all of that information into a really fascinating narrative. It's a really actually enjoyable read. Um, it's narrative nonfiction at its best, I think, because it's informative and interesting and has that human touch to it. So that is Beating Back the Devil by Marin McKenna. Okay, so my second pick for you is an author um, from Germany, I'm pretty sure. Whoa. Sorry, my agenda just crashed. Hold on one second. Oh, no. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, an author from Germany. Her name is Nell... Newhouse? Yes, thank you. N-E-U-H-A-U-S. I got the house part, but the new part I couldn't <laughs> figure out how to say. Um, so Nell Newhouse. And the series that she writes is... Uh, it's called Bodenstein and Kirchhoff, because those are the names of the two detectives who are the main characters. And she's writing in German. So not every book in this series has been translated, and they're translated in a really strange order. So, like, the third one is translated, and the seventh one is translated. Um, but not, like, the fifth or sixth ones yet. Uh, but she's writing them pretty fast, and they're being translated at a pretty rapid rate, I think. So hopefully we'll have the whole thing in English soon. But these... Are, I, th I like this kind of twist on the... Well, it's not a twist. It is for American readers, but a different setting. Like the cop story, the murder mystery thing uh, outside of America. You get a look into how other cultures and countries handle... Um, like just... I don't know. This is weird and nerdy. But like how other countries' police forces work fascinates me for some reason. Um, and especially right now when I don't want to read about our police force because bleh. Uh, anyway. So The Ice Queen is the first book of hers that I read. And it's the third book in the series. And it's about... Um, the, uh, the first victim is a 92-year-old man who is a Holocaust survivor and an American citizen. He goes back to Frankfurt, uh, where he was born, and is found shot to death execution style. And then during the autopsy, they find a tattoo that he had had covered up unsuccessfully on his arm, which was a blood type marker that Hitler used uh, for the SS. So this man who's been posing as a Holocaust survivor is actually was actually uh, in Hitler's Secret Service. Um, and so then there's a series that, of more murders like that wealthy old people who were killed who all seem to have, like, one of them has a secret basement full of Nazi paraphernalia. One of them is in a wheelchair in a nursing home and no one can find out how she's connected to these other people. And it's... Um, I think the thing that I like about this is that the victims aren't young, pretty blonde women, which is a thing I get really tired of reading in mysteries. Um, and it, I like the historical angle, too. So it's got a little bit of everything. It's got war, military stuff happening, and also the police mystery, fast-paced, whodunit. And so, yeah, that's The Ice Queen. But all of the, she also wrote a book called Snow White, My, Snow White Must Die with the same two cop main characters. That's really great. Um, and I think there's only one other one that's been translated in English. And you can find that. But yeah, so that's uh, Nell Newhouse. And the book that I like more than the other ones is The Ice Queen. 
And one more pick for this question. Um, it's the Cormoran Strike series by Robert Galbraith, who is also known as J.K. Rowling. Um, <laughs> the first book is The Cuckoo's Calling, which I liked so much. I was really surprised to find myself loving this book. Um, also, weirdly, I didn't realize this when I was picking it, has an amputee veteran at the main, uh, oh, yeah. as the main character. But yeah, so Cormoran Strike uh, was in the military. He lost part of his leg to a landmine in Afghanistan, and now he's a private investigator. And so if your dad likes, like, that military sort of spy agenda, this is not a spy novel, it's a PI novel, but it has that military background to it. And so he is kind of, I mean, he's, talk about curmudgeons, he is, like, sleeping in his office, he's broken up with his longtime girl, like, on-again, off-again love interest, Um, he kind of hates the world for obvious reasons, Um, and he's using temp uh, secretaries. So the new temp comes in and it turns out to be kind of awesome. Her name is Robin. And she's so good. <laughs> she's so good. And it turns out she has kind of always wanted, like she's always had a secret like Nancy Drew-esque obsession with PIs. Um, and so this is like her favorite temp job ever. And uh, and so she kind of ignores his like curmudgeonliness and is just like competent and awesome in the meantime. And uh, Corman Strike gets called in to try to find out what happened to a legendary supermodel, Lula Land who famously, you know, or infamously, rather, is the right word, um, fell to her death a few months earlier. It had been ruled a suicide, but one of her family members believes that it was foul play. And so Strike is hired to look into this and try to find out what actually happened. And things go haywire from there, as is the case with most mysteries. Um, I really loved it. I I thought it was really a good page-turner. I really liked the sort of repartee between Strike and Robin, and I'm curious, although also a little apprehensive to see where that goes. Because, um, <laughs> like, the will-they-won't-they they thing kind of drives me crazy sometimes. And there's, like, a little inkling of that in the beginning of this. But I don't know. We'll see. Um, so, yes. this And this is the first in the series. So if he's going through books really fast, there are already three of these out. I'm sure there will be more. So that is The Cuckoo's Calling by Robert Galbraith. All and right. we should probably stop there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's our show. That's our show. I'm always tempted to like jazz hands, even though you can't see us. Um, so if you like the show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps other people find it when they look for it in the iTunes store. You can find us on social media. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson, and Jen is at Jen IRL, Jen with two N's. And thank you so much to our sponsors, uh, Burn Baby Burn by Meg Medina, and also our Reading Habits Reading Habits Survey and our Start Here giveaway. You can get links to all of those things in our show notes, and we. We will talk to you all next week.